We all love good news. We like to hear something that is positive, something that is encouraging, something that ends up saying things are going to be better. When the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he recognized that there was a need for the gospel to be preached to them. The gospel is the good news. And so we began last Sunday morning a series of lessons on the good news goes to the Galatians. This morning's lesson is on when the good news goes bad. Your eyes open up and your stomach is growling and you start visualizing a big bowl of Captain Crunch. You walk to the refrigerator and you look, sure enough, there's a half a gallon of milk in the refrigerator. And you open it up and you begin to pour into your cereal. And you realize the good milk has gone bad. Do you realize that it's possible for people to take the good news and the good news go bad? I want to use an illustration this morning. If you will, open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 13. 1 Kings Chapter 13. While you're turning there, I want to set the stage for this passage of Scripture. Solomon has died, and the northern ten tribes are now under the leadership of Jeroboam. He was concerned that his subjects might go back to Jerusalem and their hearts be turned back toward the southern kingdom. And so he built two altars, one at Dan and the other at Bethel. This altar at Bethel was not authorized by God, not permitted by God, and thus God sent one of his men, a prophet, to cry out against the altar there at Bethel. He cried out by saying that Josiah, one of his descendants, would arise to the throne and he would offer as sacrifice the high priest who were there at that time. And he said in order to prove that, he said the altar will be split and the ashes will be poured out. When Jeroboam heard that message, he pointed his finger at this prophet, this man of God, and said to arrest him. And when he did, his hand withered. He couldn't draw it back to him. He then looked to the man of God and he wanted the man of God to pray for him. And he did. And his hand was restored. God sent this young prophet with a message and with some very severe restrictions. He said to him, while you are here, you're not to eat anything. You're not to drink any water. And you're not supposed to return the way you came. And so when King Jeroboam offers him refreshment, he says, No, I will not. God has told me not to eat or drink or return the way I came. Now I want to pick up with verse 11 because this is where the significance takes place. Now an old prophet dwelt at Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. 
They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For the sons had seen which way the man of God who came from Jerusalem, Judah. And then he said to his son, Saddle a donkey for me. And they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go with you, neither can I eat bread or drink water in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, You shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by the way are going by going the way which you came. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him, ate bread in his house, and drank water. Now I want you to think for just a moment about this younger prophet from Judah. He's made a journey of at least 12 miles. That means that he would have had to have left very early in the morning to make this journey. It also was a journey that goes up. For those of you who have been Bible geography, you know that there's an ascent, a climb. He goes and he cries out against that altar. I can imagine this young man is very thirsty and likely very hungry. No bread or water, verse 9. But there's good news. An angel of the Lord has spoke to me saying, You can come back to my house and there you can eat bread and drink water. Oh, that was good news. If I'm hungry, I want something to eat. If I'm thirsty, I want something to drink. But it was a lie. He did not tell the truth. Do you realize that when someone brings you what appears to be good news... If it is not the word from God, if it's not what God has said, it's not good news. It's bad news. How bad was it? The old prophet then did get a real revelation from God. It was a rebuke to that younger prophet to tell him that he was going to not return to be buried with his fathers. In fact, that young man just left and met a lion who killed him. You see, not doing what God said to do, even though it sounds like it's good news, it's good news that's turned bad. Now, here's, here's the message of the book of Galatians. Jesus brought salvation. That's good news. But... Some have contaminated it with the teachings of men. 
You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9? He talks about people who honor me with their lips, their heart is far from me. And he said, in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You see, it sounds like it's something good, but he says it's the commandments of men. You go to Matthew or Acts chapter 15. You realize that some people are wanting to add to God's message the keeping of the Old Testament law. And the response was in verse 10, he says, Now therefore, why do you test God putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? Why are you burdening people down? There are people who will take God's message. They will add something to it, make it more difficult, make it more burdensome. Or they will take something away. In fact, the background behind the book of Galatians also involves people's misunderstanding of God's grace and turning it into a license to sin. In Jude verse 4, he says, They turned the grace of God into lewdness. Chapter 5 verse 13, he said, You've been called into liberty, only do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't look at it as saying, here's a privilege for me to be able to go out and do what I want to. Will there be people who will tell you, this is what God has said, and they're telling you a lie? Absolutely. Which is going to bring me to the idea that good news can become bad when it's changed and when it's altered. So here's what we're going to do in our lesson this morning. We're going to study the first 12 verses of the book of Galatians. And please, if you will, open your Bibles there. We're going to look at verses 1 through 5 and look at the person of the gospel. Then we're going to look in verses 6 through 9 at the perversion of the gospel. And then finally, the preaching of it in verses 10 through 12. Let's begin with verses 1 through 5. Paul... An apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from the present age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you look at those first few verses, you'll see some things that Paul is going to stress or emphasize. He's first of all going to emphasize his position as an apostle. He will state very plainly, very clearly, No man gave me this job. It wasn't as if someone voted on Paul being an apostle. He said it wasn't by man or through man. God gave me this role. The second thing he emphasizes is the people to whom he is writing. The churches of Galatia. Last Sunday we talked about the churches that were in Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, 
These people had met Paul personally. They'd heard him teach. And they became obedient to the gospel. He then praises God. The God that raised Jesus from the dead. The God that was in charge of it all. But then the main focus, the primary point, is on the person. And that is Jesus Christ. Just notice for a minute. Verse 1, he's the one who was raised from the dead. Verse 4, he's the one who gave himself for our sins. He's the one who delivered us from this present age. And he is the one who did all of this according to the will of God. When you start talking about the gospel, you of necessity have to talk about the person. There is no one greater than Jesus Christ. If you don't talk about the death, the burial, the resurrection, you have missed the heart of the gospel because without him there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of the blood of Christ, you and I remain in our sins. And Paul stresses that greatly in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But I'm persuaded that the main point that Paul is trying to address here is in the perversion of the gospel. Brother Stanley read that to us just a few moments ago, but let's go back and read that again. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from Him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another, but there are some who would trouble you and pervert or want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what you have, we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say again. If anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. As you begin, you recognize he's astounded. He's marveled that they're turning away so quickly. When you think about someone changing so quickly, my mind immediately goes back to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Do you remember Moses? God called him to the top of Mount Sinai, and there God gave Moses the law. It seems that Moses stayed there a little longer than they thought he should. It's just days, folks. And while Moses is receiving the law on the mountain, Aaron is telling the people, give me the gold earrings that you have. And he took those things and he fashioned a golden calf. And the children of Israel fell down before that golden calf and worshipped it. And if you go to Exodus 32 and verse 8, God said, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Do you know people sometimes are so fickle? People sometimes, their devotion is so shallow. 
Here it is. These people have been taught the gospel, the good news by Paul. And what have they done? It almost seems as if immediately they've turned and they're pursuing a different gospel. He said, you're turning away. To turn away from something means you turn your back on it. The message that had been preached to them, there's an apostasy. They're going away from it now. Paul talks about him who called you and the grace of Christ. Called you. You know, we live in a world today that has this idea that God somehow communicates directly to the mind of men. As if God has somehow will put it in my mind, you need to do this or you need to do that. But that's not the way the Bible teaches that God calls us. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, To which he called you by our gospel. That means if someone comes and preaches the good news, preaches the gospel, that is God's call to you to be obedient. He tasted of death for every man, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Jesus would teach, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There is the invitation, the call that goes out to everyone. But it is a call in the grace. You see, in the grace is where God's favor is to be enjoyed. But you can also read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. The kingdom, as we have observed on numerous occasions, is the church. You can see that in Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. He talks about, On this rock I will build my church, and I will give unto you the keys of the kingdom. You see, the church is where the saved are. Acts 2, verse 47, Praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. That's the group. That's the body. That's the ones whom God saves. He's called you into His grace. Here's the problem. Some people have this view of God's grace as if it is God's favor down to man with no conditions, no restrictions, no obligations, no directions, as if it's just something to be enjoyed. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 1, We then, as workers together with Him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. It's something I receive, but it's something that I can also choose not to receive, and in doing so, do so in vain. The one passage that I often use when I'm sitting around having a Bible study with someone 
And they begin to speak of the grace of God as if it has no directions, no obligations. It's Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And Paul says boldly, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And some would stop right there and say, God's grace comes to everyone. But then look at verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It means that God's grace tells me how I ought to live. It tells me that I have to deny ungodliness. What a choice that must be. I can't receive God's grace and embrace ungodliness. Then he says a different gospel. If you're reading some of the older translations, it uses the word another. But there's some subtle terms that are used here that I think need to be drawn out because he's, he's making a very important point. He says a different gospel, the one that occurs there in verse 7. He says here a different gospel. The Greek word is heteros. And you say, well, I don't read Greek. That's okay. You know what it means. You hear about people who are homosexual and people who are heterosexual. Homosexual means two of the same kind, two men or two women. Heterosexual means of a different kind. A man and a woman or a woman and a man. So he's saying different. So when you have the gospel that they're preaching and the good news that God... It's different. It's of a different kind. He goes on to say, which is not another. But he doesn't use the same word here though. He uses the word alas which means of the same kind, which is not of the same kind. The gospel which they're preaching and the gospel which came from God, those good news, they're two different kinds. And then he said, there's some that would pervert. And this means to change from one thing to another. You change something from its goal, its intent, its purpose to something else. Some people do that. Thus to add, to subtract, to substitute is to change. And someone says, well, that's no big deal. Let me just use a a very simple illustration. Some of you ladies bake pies. Maybe some of you men do as well. You could substitute salt for sugar. After all, it's white. It's granulated. It looks similar. But you try to bake a pie with salt instead of sugar and see how it comes out. You see, the truth is, you can't take God's Word and add to it, subtract from it, or substitute without changing it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 2, You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God which I command you. 
That means that under the Old Testament system, God would not permit them to change in the sense of adding something to or taking something away or substituting something for. In the New Testament, in Revelation chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to the things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his part out of the book of life from the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. And so what does he say? If one does this, let him be accursed. What do you mean to be accursed? That means whether it's an angel or an apostle, they are all accountable to God for what they teach. You see, it didn't matter whether it was Paul himself. It didn't matter whether it was an angel. You remember the 1 Kings 13, the old prophet claimed that an angel had spoke to him. It doesn't matter who it comes from. Deuteronomy 13, he says, if there arises a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and he gives you a sign or a wonder and it comes to pass, saying, let us go after other gods, let us serve them, he tells you that one's supposed to die, that prophet is, that dreamer of dreams. Because in God's eyes, no one has a right to change his message. To be accursed means to be lost eternally. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, If anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be accursed. O Lord, come. Now very quickly, let's look at verses 10 through 12. For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I still pleased men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. But I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. Now evidently some people have been accusing Paul of pandering to the Gentiles. Evidently they believe Paul has not preached the whole counsel of God. In their minds, Paul left out a very important and essential detail. That is that you have to keep the Old Testament law, particularly the rite of circumcision. You want to convert a Gentile? Fine. But he's got to become a Jew first. Paul's response is, no, that's not true. My goal is not to please man. My goal is to please God. And he says, if I were pleasing men, I would not be a servant of Jesus Christ. Here's the truth is, folks, you can't please God and please man at the same time. Oh, there might be some folks that love God and want to do right, you'll please them. But you can't please the world. When you preach God's message, you can't please the world and won't please the world. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles answered and said... We ought to obey God rather than men. In John chapter 5, verses 43 and 44, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe 
who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. He said, what you're doing, you're looking for the pleasure of men, the approval of men. You don't think that's powerful. Look at people's motivation. In chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but they would not confess it because of the Pharisees, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. Paul's response is, My preaching is not to please you. My preaching is to please God the Father. I chose another word to insert here and so that you could appreciate what he's saying. Paul's provenance was directly from God. The word provenance, if you don't know what it means, literally means the source. Where did it come from? If you're talking, for instance, maybe about an old painting, what was this provenance? Where did it come from? Can you trace it back to its roots? If you're dealing in archaeology and a person finds a, a jar, what's its provenance? Where did it come from? How did you get it? We need to trace it back to its source. When you start asking about the message that Paul was preaching, where did he get it? Did someone teach him this? Oh, no. He said, no, I didn't get it from man. Was it somehow handed to him by the other apostles? No, it wasn't. Paul said, I got it by revelation. It came to me directly from Jesus Christ. Ephesians 3, 5, he talks about that which has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. In 2 Peter 1.20, Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man. The holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit provided the message. And then 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10 and 13, God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. That's the way He's... He's given them. And you get to verse 13. These things we speak and not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, combining spiritual things with spiritual words. You see, that's the way God's message came to Paul. It's not like it came to me. I read the Bible. I learn it. I, I received it from Paul. It came directly. And anyone, whether angel, apostle, preacher, or teacher, must be faithful to the word that they declare. In 1 Peter 4 verse 11, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If you're going to say, God says this, you better have God's message behind it. It's only good news if presented as God intended it. If we attempt to change it, if I attempt to add to it, so take away from it or substitute, I'll mess it up. 
God has already presented a perfect message that each of us needs to follow. Those of us who preach, we have to be sure that we are faithful messengers, that we don't add our own ideas to it, nor do we take away those parts which we might find objectionable or unpleasant. We have to preach it as God wants it preached. And those who listen are to verify its accuracy and authenticity. In Acts 17, verse 11, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the Scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. This morning, don't accept a perverted, watered-down, substituted gospel. Be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, which calls you to acknowledge that He is the Son of God, repenting of those ungodly things that have been a part of your life and being baptized for the remission of your sins. When you do that, God adds you to His wonderful kingdom, to His body, to the church where the saved are. If you are part of that group and you recognize that sin is dwelling in your life and you need to make a change, we can pray for you. This is not just a tradition that we have at the end of the lesson. This is the Lord's call through His Word for you to be obedient. Will you answer that call as together we stand and sing?